All right, the Gospel of John, chapter 16, verses 25 through 28. Is everybody doing okay today? It seems quiet today. Is something happened I didn't know about? Everybody's okay? We don't, we don't have to have, like, cheerleading. You know, we don't need to, like, everybody jump around and say amen. But I just want to know if you're alive, you know. If you want to sleep, there's some beds in the nursery or what? No, anyway. And also, I want to go on record that I had a, um, a call yesterday for a five-minute service. And um, it ended up being, like, seven hours long. So I'm only going to preach for five minutes according to Mary Lou time. Yeah. Yeah. No, anyways, all right, here we go. No, no, all joking aside. John 16, verse 25. John 16, verse 25. Jesus says, I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but it will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, this coming day, you will ask in my name, And I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you. Why is that? Well, because you have loved me and believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and I have come into the world. Now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. Lord, I pray today that you'll help us, give us illumination of this text, Holy Spirit, that it will be for our benefit, for our good, increase our faith, and that we will be able to function in the truth that is taught here. I pray these things by the Spirit in Christ's name. Amen. I don't know if it's the climax, but somewhat of a climax of the farewell discourse. By the way, the title of the sermon is The Superlative Privilege There's not a higher privilege than the privilege that we find here in this text, and we'll get to that in a moment. But as we get to somewhat of a climax of the farewell discourse, uh, the redemptive work of the Lord Jesus does not create a separation between us and the Father. It doesn't, the, the redemptive work doesn't make us more distant from the Father. <clears throat> it actually brings us very near to the Father. It, it creates a beautiful relationship. So if you just ponder for a second Old Testament theology, and you remember the temple, and you remember the Holy of Holies, and going into the Holies of Holies once a year to go inside this veil and to make atonement for the priest and for the people, and all of that event that went on there, There was only one who could enter, and all the other people were kind of estranged. They couldn't enter into that holy place. They couldn't go behind that veil lest they die. And so there was always this separation. In the redemptive work of Christ, you see the veil is rent from top to bottom. And now there's this access where we actually can go directly to the thrice holy God as his children. So this redemptive work doesn't give farther distance, it actually brings us very nigh. And so, what a great blessing that is. But also, I do want to say, that truth does not negate the intercessory work of Jesus nor of the Holy Spirit. He, he, ever, he lives every day to intercede for us. He's always in heaven interceding for us. That is always true, but that doesn't 
prohibit or stop me from direct communion with God the Father. I commune with Him, and I go to Him, and I ask things of Him, and I do so based upon the name of the Son. Even though the Son's interceding for me, I'm still going directly to God. Now, I don't know how that affects you, or if it has any effect upon you or not, but the most powerful, the one and only true living God who created all things, sustains all things, knows all things, this God that we learned about in Sunday school, you have direct connection with him as a Christian. You say, well, Grayson's having surgery. Yes, that's a big deal. It's a big deal. And you all, we have big things that we deal with and that we go through. But you don't do it alone. And it's not like you don't have resource to pull from. No matter what's going on, you got sin, you got heartache, you got rebellious kids, you got a job loss, whatever's going on, you can go directly to the one on top. You're facing unknown surgery, unknown diagnosis, unknown situations. You can go directly to the Father. You say, why, why is it that you can do that? Because He loves you. What a joy. You don't have to wait on me. You don't have to wait on the priest. You don't have to wait on the Pope. You sure don't have to wait on Mary. She's already dead, and you don't do good to wait on her. You can go yourself to God with all of your burdens and all of your difficulties that you face, and you can talk to Him about it and know that He hears you. Why? Because He loves you. Because He loves you. That's what my text says. That's the defining characteristic of this truth is because the Father loves you. By name, individually, He has set His affection upon you as a believer. What a great, great privilege. I don't know of a higher privilege that you could possibly have. Verse 25, uh, plain communication. I won't spend a lot of time on 25. I'm going to spend more time on the next two. But whatever we take or understand from this, Jesus has used this a few times that there's this, the ESV translates figures of speech. It's just one Greek word, but the idea here is, is there is a communication of truth, but there's a veil upon it. Uh, there's like there's these lofty, deep, rich theological truths that are in this speech, but the hearers can't grasp and put all the pieces together. It's like he's saying something in my language. I can read it, I can hear it, and I can understand it, but yet I don't understand it. Okay, that's, it's different than a parable, but I won't try to define the differences between the two. But what he's saying here is not being plain to them. They're not grasping it. Not his fault, but there's a lack of understanding upon their part. So he spoke in these figures of speech. But he gives them this promise or this assurance. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in these figures of speech. And then he switches words. He switches from figures of speech to plain communication at the end of verse 25. I'm going to tell you plainly about the Father. Post-resurrection clarity. 
post-resurrection ministry of the Holy Spirit. This is all in the same vein here, right? So the Holy Spirit is going to come. He's going to lead you to all truth. He's going to teach you to all truth. These figures of speech that you're not grasping, they're going to be made plain to you by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So you're not going to be in confusion. Just hang on a little bit longer, and everything is going to come together. Plainly, I will tell you plainly of the Father. This word for plainly means he will conceal nothing. He will pass over nothing. It will be very outspoken. It will be very frank. Be very, very clear. In other words, after the resurrection, you will get it. Everything will come together and you'll be like, oh, why didn't you tell me? I have been telling you, but now I'm illuminating you by the Spirit to understand what I'm saying. Now, in that, do do take a caution here. (laughs) Human intellect cannot be high enough to decipher divine illumination. (laughs) No matter how smart you may be, unless the Spirit illuminates you to the truth, you remain in the dark. Now, in regards to this, in the idea of plain speech, I'll give you an example. Let's make it plain. So how do you use the word plainly? If you remember in John chapter 11, in John chapter 11, he says, our friend Lazarus is asleep. I mean, it's clear. I can understand that phrase, but they didn't understand that phrase. You know how they responded? Well, if he's asleep, he'll be okay. Yeah, well, what I mean here is he's dead. They didn't understand. So later on in the chapter, Jesus tells them plainly, right? He tells them plainly, Lazarus has died. That's plain. I get it. I understand what you mean by sleep now. You mean the sleep of death. And so he made it. He uses the word plainly, Lazarus has died. In regards to this figures of speech, I think it predominantly has to do with this cross event. And I won't read all the texts, but let me refer to them, a few of those. In Mark 8, you know this passage in Mark 8, and, and you know it's this issue where Peter rebukes Jesus. <laughs> and then Jesus turns to him and he says, Get behind me, Satan. You're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Peter's words here give a demonstration that you're not understanding what Jesus is talking about, okay? Then in John chapter 2, when therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said, and so they, they were foggy, but after the resurrection, they get and remember what it was he was communicating. John chapter 12, verse 16, he says, His disciples did not understand. They didn't get it. They didn't understand these things at first. When Jesus was glorified, they remembered that these things had been written about him and done to him. John 13, 7 what I am doing, you do not understand now. You don't understand right now, but afterward, you will understand. Okay. 
I'm getting distracted. People are playing on the phones, talking, other stuff, and it's distracting me. Try to focus here. I'm trying to tell you some things that will help you. Plain and clear. They did not get it. There had to be illumination that was granted to them. It's the only way you can get it. I want you to understand we are dependent upon the Holy Spirit. For all these years in life, somebody let the guy in the door. I need help. Y'all pray for me. Every distraction that can happen is happening. I don't know why it's happening, but it keeps happening. All right. I have lost my place, and now I'm confused. After the resurrection, these things are going to be made plain. I'm going to speak them plainly, and you're going to get it. In Luke 24, the end of Luke is especially clear here. After the resurrection, two guys on the road to Emmaus, and Jesus approaches them, and this is what he says, quote, Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures of the things concerning himself. Jesus has only spoke truth. He's only revealed truth. But they have not got it. And somehow, after the resurrection, now it's going to be plain. And he takes everything that Moses said. And he says, this is exactly how it applies to me. And he opens their mind to understand. Then, later in Luke 24, down at the end of the chapter, he says to them, these are my words. This is Luke 24, 44. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Here's your verse. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He opened their mind. Now look, you're sitting in this room. Some of you have lost kids in this very room. You have lost friends that you know that may not be in the room. But you have people that you don't understand why they won't believe Christ. You don't understand why they won't be saved. Why will they not get baptized? Why will my children, my grandchildren, my friend, my coworker, why not? Their mind must be opened to the truth of who Christ is. I'm going to file that away. That seems important to me. So what am I going to do when I pray for William and for Echo and for Oliver and for Ellie? What am I going to do when I pray for them? Lord, I need for you to open their minds to see the beauty of Christ. And I'm going to put their salvation as contingent upon the work of God. Because you can do all the teaching which is right. You can take them to church which is right. You can show them the truth of the gospel which is right. But at the end of the day, we need the Spirit of God to open their mind to understand. To give them a new heart that they would get it. That's the issue. Oh God, save them. Oh God, bring them to repentance. God, bring them to faith. We need help because they can't save themselves and we can't save them open their minds and they understood the scripture and then he says thus it's written christ should suffer the third day rise from the dead repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from jerusalem and then he says those classic wonderful words you are witnesses to all these things here we are post-resurrection We're on the other side. Jesus has spoken plainly. The Spirit of God leads us into all truth. Ah, I can connect the dots. 
He rose from the dead. He ascended to heaven. And he gave us a command to bear witness about him to all the nations. Ah, I understand that I am obligated to be obedient to the command my Savior has given. Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke 24, Acts 1-8. All of these commands are plain and clear. Let the world know that Christ has been resurrected. Verses 26 through 27, a privileged communion. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself, underline it if you write in your Bible, note it, put it there, see the text, Jesus speaking, the Father himself loves you. Now, we, we ask the question, of course we can ask the question, why would he love me? Why would he love any person with this special divine love? Because of this reason. It's a twofold reason. Because you love Jesus and you believe that Jesus came from God. That's the two reasons that God sets his special effective love upon you because you love his son and you believe his son was sent forth by him. These categories of asking have been clearly put before them. John 14, verse 12 through 14, John 15, 7 through 8, John 15, 16. We've seen these truths already through these texts. Now they're wrapped together in this verse. Jesus is going to return to the Father This is, I've already said, it's not going to enlarge the distance between them and God, but it's going to bring them and God very near unto one another. And notice from the text, they do not have to ask Jesus. You don't have to ask him. You can ask the Father directly. I don't know how we can miss this, and I want you to know it, and I want you to experience it, but I understand there's a whole pagan world out there of Roman Catholics who are praying to Mary. It doesn't make any sense to me. She's dead. Why are you praying to the priest? Why are you praying to the Pope? Why are you trying to get somebody else to go to God for you when in the gospel you can go to the Father yourself? I don't have to go to a confession booth and talk to a priest. I don't need a priest. I have a high priest. I can just go directly to the Father because my text tells me so. I don't even have to, per se, go to Jesus. I just have to go to the Father in Jesus' name. No priest, no Mary. Listen, you have the superlative privilege of going to the Father directly, seven days a week, 24 hours a day, at any given point. Listen, I know, I've been in ministry long enough to know this. People get in situations and they feel like nobody loves them, nobody cares, nobody came by, nobody sent a card, nobody did this, nobody did this. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how to make this decision. I don't know which way to go. I don't know what's right. I don't know what's wrong. I need counsel. I need help. And the scriptures are screaming out at you. Why don't you just ask the sovereign God of the universe? Why don't you just go to him? Just skip the middleman. Just go directly to the one who spoke the entirety of creation to being out of nothing and say, you know what? I need $5 for gas this week. Why don't you just ask him? 
I need a better job. I need some help with my marriage. I need some help serving in the church. I need some wisdom upon this passage of Scripture. God, you are the creator of everything. You're sovereign over all things, and I need help. You know, the one who can actually do something has an ear to the prayers of his children. Why would we not access such divine omnipotency? The privilege of going directly to the Father is wrapped up in this. He loves you. He said a lot about this in Sunday school, but it's still true. The Father does love his children. Remember, it's a classic verse, and we've seen it so many times, we kind of just go to sleep as somebody goes off to quote it. So I won't quote it, I'll read it. And see if you can remember where it's found. For God so loved the world, he gave. He gave his only son. And whoever would believe in him would not perish, but they would have everlasting life. Does God love me? Yes, he gave his son. Before I was created, before I was known, before I'd done good or evil, God moved. God knew the corruption of our hearts, and God gave. Not motivated by anything outside of himself, he just did so because he is love. He loves so much that he provided everything necessary that you don't have to go to hell. You must believe Christ. If you turn, we'll do one. If you'll turn to 1 John, there's, I mean, we could do this all day, but let's do uh, 1 John chapter 4. For the reminder of this great and excellent truth, 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, let's, uh, we'll read to verse 12, seven, 1 John 4, 7 through 12, beloved, you hear the pastor John Apostle John here, and uh, just caring about his people. And so I reiterate his words to us all. He says, let us love one another. Why? Well, because love is from God. And whoever loves your capacity or ability to love, it's because you've been born of God and you know God. Anyone who does not love, well, this is why. They don't know God. Because God is is love. In this, the love of God was manifest. It was revealed among us. God sent his only son into the world that we might believe through him. In this is love. It's not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Christ absorbs the wrath of God in our place that we can go free. How, how much more do you need in order to understand that God loves? Beloved, verse 11, beloved, if God, or you might even translate, since God so loved us, well, then we ought to love one another. No one's ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. You can go directly to God because he 
loves you. Listen, I'm trying to paint a picture for you here. Uh, you're not going to God like trying to get through and trying to get him to give an ear to you or that possibly somehow you got to do something to gain his favor that he might listen to your prayer. He's telling you up front on the title of the book, God loves you. When when you're loved by someone, you're not fearful that they won't listen to you. If you're in a loving relationship, you know that they will listen because they love. And God's telling you that on the first page here. God loves you. Access Him. Commune with Him. Worship Him. Pray with Him. Speak with Him. Walk with Him. Enjoy Him. Plead with Him. Rejoice with Him. Why? Because He loves you. Just as Jesus remained. You say, well, how do I remain in this love? Well, just as Jesus remained in the Father's love. By obedience. We've already seen this so many times in John. It's like, I always, Jesus said, I always do the things that please him. He says, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. This idea of a walking, obedient relationship. We remain in the Father's love as we walk in obedience to him. You remember John 15, 9. We've already done this, but let me read it quickly. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Then he says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. God loves me and I reflect my love to him by delightful obedience. Newsflash, but even when I sin, even when I sin, it does not negate the love of God. Now, it may cause some difficulty in my relationship because I need to repent, but God doesn't stop loving me when I do bad. He loves you. You're his child permanently. Don't miss that. And notice this circle of love, if you will. The Father loves the Son. That's true. The Son loves the Father. That's true. The Son loves the disciples. True. And the disciples love the Son. The Father loves every person who loves His Son. There's a, there's a catch here, right? There's at least this much of a catch. If you don't love Christ for who he defines himself to be, then you're not loved by the Father. Because if you do blasphemously towards his Son, you're not going to meet with favor from him. You treat his Son in a way that you spit in his face and you mock him and you won't repent and you won't believe and you won't submit to him. Don't expect God's love to be upon you. Because it's not happening. What did I just say? I just said that all Mormons, all Jehovah Witnesses, and all Buddhists, and all uh, Muslims have no love of God on their life. Why? Because they don't love the Son. And you have to love the Son to receive the love of the Father. By the way, if you, if you don't understand that, if you, if you spit in my kid's face and you treat Joshua like a stepchild, I don't like you. I'm just telling you, we're going to fight. You treat my son like that, I'm going to punch you in the eye, in the dead gum eye. 
We understand that, right? How can we treat Jesus with contempt, walk around and blaspheme him in this gay pride month and just blaspheme Christ and then say God is love? You're blind and logically ignorant to think that. That God's love is poured out on those who love and honor and respect and cherish his Son. Because they love the Son. That's the prerequisite for the love of God. One must love the Son. And secondly, two reasons. One is they love the Son. And then secondly, because they believe Jesus came from God. Origin is important here. Just to be clear, Jesus is not merely a good man. He's not merely a good teacher. He's not a remarkable prophet. He is a remarkable prophet, but not in the sense of just a prophet. He's not a human being with an extra dose of the Spirit of God upon him. Not that heretical teaching. You see, Jesus is the eternal Son who proceeds forth from the Father. There was never a time in all of eternity that Jesus did not exist. He's never created. He's never brought into being. He's always been at the Father's side. There will never be a time in the eternity future that Jesus will cease to be. That's who he is by nature. He is the second person of the Godhead. He is as much God as God the Father. He is divine in all essence of who he is by nature. And so we must love him and believe him for that. God sent his eternal son into a time-constricted world, born of a virgin, clothed in human flesh, to substitute on the behalf of men, and on the third day rise again, and to ascend back to heaven and to the glory he had before he came. All of these things are done by the eternal Christ on our behalf. And I do want to note this um, Even though the disciples may not understand everything at this point, they're about to understand. It's going to click real quick, real, real quick here. But they do know at this point that Jesus must have come from God. And nobody ever spoke like this, and nobody's ever done these types of things. He must be from God. I, I can't put all the dots together, but we're not dealing with an ordinary man here. They at least knew that. They believed that. I will note to you an application. Prayer is expected you see there in the text, you will ask, you will ask. It is expected. And then you see in the Sermon on the Mount, when you pray, when you pray, when you pray. Not if, if, and if. You will ask. The the, the expectation of Christianity is that the individual Christian is on a regular, ongoing basis going to God and asking We go to Him with nothing in our hands every time. Whether we think it's little, whether we think it's big, everything we bring before Him asking for His help. Look, American, wake up. We are dependent creatures living in a world of independence. Everybody wants to do their own thing. Nobody can tell me what to do. I'm my own man. I carry my own gun. And I don't have to listen to nobody. That's the attitude of America, but not the attitude of Christianity. Christianity is, I'm weak. 
I'm not smart. I don't have it figured out. I don't know how to do this. I can't make it. I need lots of help. And I keep going to my father saying, please help me because left to myself, I am a disaster. Does anybody in this room know and understand that? How weak and pathetic we are on our own? What do we meet here? I need help. I need to worship God. I need to hear the Bible. I need to be reminded that even though the world has misdefined God as love, I need a pastor to stand up in my pulpit and say, but God is love. Just because they got it wrong don't mean I can't preach it. Right? Yeah, everybody says God is love. He is. He's absolutely love. We just have to understand what he means by love. We just have to understand the true concepts and based on his holiness. But God undoubtedly is love. But even more so, not only is he love, but he loves you. Personally, by name, the God of heaven reaches down to Israel and sets his affection upon them. Not because they're greater in number, not because they're mightier, but just because he jolly well pleased to do so. And you think that God would reach down into Briar, Texas that doesn't even exist, and he would put his love upon a person and love them eternally? What a God! I mean, can you believe the God of heaven would find Jack? Ain't nobody else was even looking for him unless the plumbing was backed up. But God come and found us. My friend in Illinois said in Sunday school that day, he says, I don't know all this theology stuff and I don't know all your terms. I just know that when I got saved, I wasn't looking for God. He was looking for me. Called us by name. Communion with the Father's real. And immediate. You want to know how sinful you are? You ready? You want to know how sinful you are? Prayer time. It's time to pray. I need to pray. Okay, I need to pray today. Oh, let me check that in the oven. Oh, wait, uh, I need to get that out of the living room. Oh, wait, man. You know, I'm tired right now. Wait, man, hold on, let me just rest a minute and then I'll pray. Well, let me look at this a minute, and I'll pray. Okay, well, i got to go pick up the kids, and then I'll pray. Well, I, I, that's how sinful you are. Now you change the scenario. Your TV show's coming on. Oh, cool! Wide awake! Boom! I'm not tired at all. Click! Oh, man, this is great. It's time for prayer. Uh, well, uh, yeah, uh, I got... And all these things come to your mind. That's the sinful nature of man. You've got to fight through all of that stuff. And you've got to go to God because He loves you. You got to put off all that other and press on to commune with your God. Love is an action for sure. All right, lastly, we have to conclude. Lastly, this, let me give you this. Here's a, you street preachers, you can preach this verse. Here's the whole gospel in one verse for anybody who wants to preach the gospel. You're looking for that one verse that kind of holds it all together. Well, verse 28 is the verse. Let's read the verse again. Let's say a few things about it. I came from the Father, I've come into the world, now I'm leaving the world, and I'm going to the Father. What great phrases. Here's this panoramic completion of the redemptive work of Christ. Number one, Jesus came from the Father. I already quoted it to you. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. And in 17, God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved. He came from the Father. And he, he says, and Jesus came into the world. You remember? 
He was in the world. The world was made through him. The world didn't know him. He came to his own. His own people didn't receive him. Then in verse 14 of chapter 1, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We've seen his glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. He came into the world to be a substitute for sinners. And he says, and then I leave the world. John 14, 19, yet a little while and the world will see me no more. He's going to go. He's going to depart. And then he says, where am I going? I go to the Father. Let me give you these verses from John, shorthand. John 13, 3, he had come from God, was going back to God. John 14, 12, because I'm going to the Father. John 14, 28, because I go to the Father. John 16, 10, because I go to the Father. John 16, 17, a little while you will not see me. Again, a little while you'll see me because I go to the Father. John 16, 28, I'm leaving the world. I go to the Father. John 20, verse 17, do not cling to me. I have not yet ascended to the Father. What a consistent theme. I came from God. I came here. I accomplished the mission I was sent to do. I've completed absolutely perfectly. I've fulfilled every bit of the law's commands. I've substituted for my children. I've been resurrected from the dead. And now I'm going home to the glory I had for which before I came. I'm going back to there. What a completion. You have a Savior who completed the work. You don't have to raise your hands, but how many of us live in a world where people do not keep their word? They say this, they promise this, they say this, they say that, and they never fulfill it. And does anybody in the room ever get aggravated when somebody tells you they'll do something and then they don't do it? Or they tell you they'll do something and only do it halfway, and you're like, what a jerk. How lazy can you be? Why did you tell me this if you're not going to do it? We complain about those things, and I say to you this morning, look to Christ. For what he said, he did. Faithfully and fully, he has never broken his word, and you can trust him. We should have a like testimony that the Lord Jesus had, and our testimony would sound this way. We were born of God from above. We demonstrate Christianity in daily living. We will leave this world in the future. And we will go to the Father for all of eternity. Like unto our Savior, right? We should have that as our testimony. But while we remain here on earth, it is our mission to make the gospel known, to build healthy churches, to serve the Lord with gladness until he comes. Well, the Lord has spoken clearly to us through his word. We've been reminded of the great privilege we have in direct access to the God of heaven. We have confidence that Jesus completed the mission of redemption and that all that is required of men is to believe. By faith alone, to believe, to believe Christ. We are living in the last hour and the time of the Lord's return is nigh. Everything necessary for building the kingdom of God has been completed the means that God has given us for the carrying out of the building process is the gospel. The church is to go forth boldly, speaking plainly with great urgency and pointing the world to Christ. As a side note, 
If you don't do that, what are you going to do? Drink a beer? Smoke some weed? Be immoral? Commit fornication? Become a transgender? I mean, what are you going to do? Buy a new car? Whoop-de-doo. What are you going to do? Get a new house? Great. It's going to fall down. What are you going to do? Invest in the stock market? Good luck. Buena suerte. I mean, what do you, if you don't have your priority upon the proclamation, the edification of Christ, what do you live for? CNN? I mean, what do you, what do you live for? What, do you, what is it? I'm going to go to a ball game with my kids. Okay, great. I'm going I'm I'm to go do this and watch this TV show. Super. Then you're going to die. I mean, where's the hope in this? But when you put your life into what the means of building the kingdom is, and your whole life revolves around seeking the glory of Christ, I at least have a reason to wake up in the morning, at least have a reason to live. You understand the hopelessness of the world. Read Proverbs. All of their riches, they get nothing. They wake up in hell counting themselves as fools. You understand the number of people who spent their life pursuing alcohol and come up bankrupt? Why? Just for a drink? I'll never forget the day preaching in front of Albertsons and Azel, and the man's walking out of there with his six-pack or 12-pack of beer, and I said, you'll be back because when you get to the bottom of the can, you'll have to have more because it will not satisfy. Complained to the manager, and people were upset, but it's true. Because you can drink as much beer as you want, you'll never be satisfied. Because you'll have to have another, and another, and another. Same thing with marijuana, same thing with drugs, same thing with sex, same thing with pornography. You can't look, guys, you cannot look at pornography and look at one image and be satisfied. Are you listening? You can't do it. Because you're going to want to see another image. And it's going to lead to another image, and another image, and another image. And you're going to be webbed up and trapped. It's all the world does. And your pastor is telling you, forsake all of the nonsense and find your priority as Christ. Making Christ known. Being concerned about missions. Concerned about living and worshiping Jesus for the rest of your life. Invest in the kingdom. Why? Because it can't be taken away. Because you store up treasures in heaven. Moth and rust cannot corrupt. Thieves cannot break in and steal. Where your heart is, there your treasure will be. Last paragraph, and then I'll have Jeff Crago come and close us in song. There's nothing lacking in the work of Christ. Listen, please. There's only like three sentences. He has perfectly fulfilled all the requirements of redemption. Listen. You are required to believe Christ. If you do not believe Christ, you will be found guilty on judgment day. You will be cast into hell for all of eternity. In hell, you will suffer under the wrath of God and you will curse your foolishness that you exhibited on earth. You will be forever condemned for your lack of faith. God is speaking to you today from His Word, and He's calling upon you right now to believe Christ. If you don't believe Christ and you don't love Christ, 
you will never experience the love of the Father. As Brother Jeff comes, Father in heaven, I thank you. I am amazed. I'm dumbfounded that you would love me. Lord, help me not to take it for granted. Help me not to abuse it. But help me to cherish your love in my heart and to respond with love towards you. Love in worship, love in obedience, love in abiding, love in being in tune with who you are and what you're doing. Help us as a church to set our priorities aright. We pray these things by your Spirit. In Christ's name, amen.